You're listening to a podcast from Bayside Church International. Good morning. How are you all? You all ready? All right. I'm ready. I um, woke up this morning and Rachel said to me, uh, you woke me up during the night. And I said, how come? She said, you were speaking in your sleep, which has happened uh, probably two or three times in the last two weeks. And she said, you weren't, you weren't saying anything particular, but you were praying in tongues in your sleep. So who's, who's thankful for spirits that don't sleep? <laughs> yeah, like Chad said, this is, this is a series, seven-week series on the book of John. I feel like I got a little bit gypped this week because um, Chad preached a really good message last week. I thought about it afterwards that everyone was hyped up on sugar being Easter Sunday, and now I'm on the come down, so... <laughs> So if, if, if you can bear with me, I promise that you can go out and eat more sugar, if that's your thing. John 20, 30 to 31. It says, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Jesus went on to do many more signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not even included in this book. But all that is recorded here is so that you will fully believe that Jesus is the Anointed One, the Son of God, and that through your faith in Him, you will experience eternal life by the power of His name. So everything that Jesus did in this book, not just the book of John, is for us to believe in Him. Every miracle, everything He said was to point us to God Himself. And the reason why you can't contain it in one book is because he's still doing it to this day. I believe that God's still speaking today. I believe that Jesus is still working today. Every miracle he did in this book is just not contained to this book, but he's still doing it today. Wow. So as, as we go through this series of the book of John, I will be speaking in John 5 about the pool of Bethesda with the lame man. And I'll be starting from verse 1, and I'll be reading down to around 11. So verse 1, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Having five porches, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, Waiting for the moving of the water, for an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. So I'll just stop there for a sec. So, so there was this pool of water and surrounding it was all these sick people. It says, sick, blind, lame, paralyzed... They're all waiting to get into the water. Now, it says an angel came down and stirred up the water. It doesn't say that you could see the angel. Um, It says that they they believed that there was an angel that would come and stir up the water. And when the water would bubble or if it would ripple, that they believed if you were the first one to jump into the water, you'd be healed. Going from that, if you picture blind, lame, paralyzed people waiting to get into the water to be the first one there, it would have been pretty chaotic, eh? (laughs) It would have been like those moments when it's freezing cold and you're standing at the edge of the water of the pool and then someone just pushes you in, you know, because you've got to be the first person in. 
blind and paralyzed people can't, the blind can't see where they're going, so they need someone to push them in, right? Paralyzed people need someone to pick them up and carry them and push them in. So it would have been pretty chaotic. Verse 5. A certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and knew he had already had been in the condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Good question. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured, It is the Sabbath, it is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Now this, this reminds me of a story in Mark, in chapter 2. And you might be familiar with the story where Jesus is in, in a house and he's, and he's speaking to a group of people and there's, there's a group of, group of friends with a paralyzed man and they want to get the man to Jesus because they believe that, that Jesus can heal him but they have no way of getting him into the house. So they come up with a brilliant idea. Let's climb up to the roof with a paralyzed man. Let's take off the roof and we'll lower him down and we'll get him to Jesus that way. And when they lower him down, Jesus heals the man in front of the multitudes. And in Mark chapter 2, 11, Jesus heals the man and says almost the exact same thing as what Jesus said to the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. He says, Arise, take up your bed and go to your house. The thing that's different in the two stories that I see is with the man in the house being lowered down, the man was brought to Jesus. The man came to meet Jesus. With the man at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus met the man. And I believe today is the day where Jesus wants to meet you. I believe today is the day that you can come to Jesus with any circumstances, any, any situation in your life. You can come to him Bring those situations, and I believe he wants to meet you in the middle of them. I believe with him, you can partner with him, and he can do all things possible in your life. Just like the man in Mark, Jesus wants you to meet him. And also, like the man in John, he wants to meet you. It doesn't matter what, what sort of situation you're in, whether it's past hurts, whether it's addictions, it doesn't matter, whether it's sickness, it doesn't matter, Whatever's going on in your life, Jesus wants to meet you where you're at. It doesn't matter how long it's been. The man was in it for 38 years. That was 38 years of pain, 38 years of being sick, 38 years of suffer, 38 years of being mocked by everyone around him. 38 years would have become his identity. It would have been what he believed who he was. He would have believed that that's the way he was going to be for the rest of his life. It's been 38 years, and then it took one encounter with Jesus Christ. 
I believe it only takes one encounter with Jesus Christ to heal your life, whatever situation it is. I don't care if it's broken marriage or anything like that. There was an amazing testimony last week. I believe it takes one encounter and Jesus can fix all things. It doesn't matter what we're going through or how long it's been. Jesus wants you to encounter him. Have you ever thought that something in your life seems true to you and then you get a revelation of a greater truth and then that truth has to become what is actually true? So let's say there's a, there's a young kid and it's coming up to this young kid's birthday and this young kid walks into the living room where there's the family are all gathering in this living room and as the young kid walks into the living room, everyone's talking and then they see the young kid walk in and then they stop talking. And the young kid thinks, oh no, what have I done? They don't want me here. And then that young kid grows up with that thought, doesn't even celebrate its birthday anymore because it thinks that it's not wanted anymore and it grows up to become an adult believing that no one loves them Everybody hates them. Whenever it walks into a room, everyone's going to stop talking. And then comes a greater t- truth, and it gets a revelation. This, this kid grows up into an adult, and the adult gets a revelation that actually, now I think of it, when I walked into a room, they were planning my surprise party. That's why they stopped talking. So... So no longer is it true that I'm not wanted, but the truth is I want to be celebrated, that I am meant to be celebrated. It doesn't mean that it wasn't true to that young kid at the time, that feeling, but then came a greater truth, a God truth that surpassed their truth and became the ultimate truth. Does that make sense? So God can see what you think is true in your life, whether it's sickness whether it's, it's your job, whether it's re- a relationship, whatever you believe is true in your life, whatever hard situation that you might be in, there's a greater truth. And the greater truth wants to surpass that truth and become the ultimate truth in your life. And whatever we see here, whatever we surround ourselves, becomes what's true in our life and then that becomes our identity. Just like the lame man the lame man's identity was his sickness. 38 years, he, w- he believed that he was always going to be sick. I wonder what situation you're in today that God wants to speak truth to. Whatever you're believing, whatever you think is true in your life, I believe that God wants to speak to you today and I believe he wants to reveal greater truth to you today. Jesus wants to meet you where you're at. See, the Sabbath day was true to the Jewish people. It's all, it's all through the whole history of the Bible. You, you read about the Sabbath, so it was true to them. But the truth was that there was an encounter in front of them. See, they had a God, but what they missed was a God reality. They had their laws and their tradition. The Sabbath was true, but it became their God. And they missed out on the God in front of them. There's a quote... It says, the problem with tradition is that it can become our law instead of Jesus. We do it because we have always done it that way. 
that Jesus looks past the law and he wants to speak to your heart. The law said that there was a Sabbath, but Jesus saw past that law and he saw the man's heart and he said, be healed. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, the law would have said not to carry your bed on the Sabbath. The law said that you couldn't do any works on the Sabbath. The law said that you weren't allowed to be walking around carrying your bed on the Sabbath on that particular day, but Jesus said, be healed on that particular day. I believe Jesus is still saying, be healed on this particular day. It doesn't matter what situation it is, he's saying, be healed on this particular day. Jesus cares more about you then you could ever care about what's true in your life because he sees the greatest truth. But God, I've been in this for such a long time and he says, I see past that, be healed. But God, you don't understand the pain I'm going through. He says, I see past that, you're healed. But God, you don't understand the law, what the Sabbath said, I see past that, you're healed. But God, I'm too old, he sees past that, you're healed. But God, I'm too young, he sees past that, you're healed. The law will tell us we are not fit for a breakthrough, but God wants to see you whole today. See, the Jews worshipped the law more than they ever worshipped God. They tried to find internal life in the scriptures, and what they missed was internal life in front of them. Some of us will read the Bible, we attend church, and we think that that's all we need in life, to live a healthy Christian life. But outside of church, we surround ourselves with the world and we sort of fall back, go back to church, we feel good. I believe God wants to encounter us today. I believe that God wants to speak to us today. I believe there's eternal life in Jesus Christ. I believe we need to step out of the reality of just going to church, just reading the Bible and becoming who we are made in Christ. See, the the sick man... And the Jewish people both had encounters that day. Each one of them had an encounter. The sick man had an encounter with Jesus and he got healed. The Jewish people had an encounter with Jesus and they missed out. Jesus wants to give you an encounter today. They were mad at Jesus because he broke the Sabbath. Says in verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So they were mad at Jesus for breaking the Sabbath, but what they really missed out was Jesus was the Sabbath. Jesus didn't need rest because in him is rest. The Jewish people were stuck on what God had said in the past, and they missed the revelation of God in their present. He was right in front of them, willing to give them an encounter, but they missed out because they were too stuck on what God had said in the past about the Sabbath, about the law, and they missed out on the Sabbath that was right in front of them. See, we don't want to be stuck on what God had said to us in the past. We don't want to be living off what breakthrough we had 10 years ago. We don't want to be living off what we had gone through, what he had said, what encounter we had 10 years ago and miss the encounter in front of us today. We can't live off that breakthrough and not pursue a bigger breakthrough today. 
and then tomorrow we can go after an even bigger breakthrough. Whatever testimony we live off yesterday, we need a greater testimony of who he is today and we need a greater testimony of who he is tomorrow. We need to be careful not to put God in a box of our own understanding and limit him to our own reality because he always wants to reveal a bigger and a greater reality. John 5.19 says, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he, which is God, does, the Son also does in like manner. So how do we know what the Father is doing? How can we find out what God is doing in our life? We look at the Son. How do we know what God is saying? We look at the Son. What did the Son say? What did Jesus say? How do we know what God feels like? We look at the Son. We look at Jesus. See, Jesus replicated the Father, and we can replicate Jesus. How do we replicate Jesus? We read about Jesus. We get to know Jesus. We have an encounter with Jesus. Like it said in John 20, everything was written in this so we would believe. So if we're to believe in God, we believe in Jesus because Jesus is God. Jesus showed what God can do. We can't let our circumstances or our situations stop us from realizing the truth of God in those circumstances or those situations. See, the enemy wants to make us see there's a bigger problem instead of seeing a bigger God. He wants us to surround ourselves with a bigger problem where we need to surround ourselves with a bigger God. When we have a bigger God, we have a smaller problem, but if we have a bigger problem, then we have a smaller God. He wants us to live a life either consumed by bigger problems, just like the lame. what happened to the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. He had a bigger problem in his life. And then he witnessed a bigger God. All we need is one encounter of that bigger God in our problem. We can't tiptoe around in life and avoid problems. We can't live an eggshell lifestyle where we're afraid that we're walking on eggshells so we need to be careful where we walk because we don't want to fall in sticky situations or or problems because that's where the enemy wants us to be. The enemy wants us to be comfortable and wants us to live as comfy Christianities because when we're comfortable, we are unable to walk in the destiny and the calling on our lives. Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew 16 about everything that's going to happen to him, all the suffering, all the pain. He's going to die on a cross. And Peter comes up to him and says, Jesus, don't do it. You don't have to do it. You can remain comfortable. Don't pursue that cross. Don't worry about it. Just be comfy. Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. He wanted Jesus to be comfortable, but Jesus knew that that's what the enemy wanted, not what Peter actually wanted. Because if Peter actually knew what he really wanted, then he would have been, Jesus, go. Because if he had have known the meaning, meaning behind of what the cross was going to reveal, he would have been very happy for Jesus to pursue it. When we are comfortable, then we are unable to walk in our calling. So what is the truth that God wants to reveal to you today? Jesus only did what his Father did. He only said what the Father spoke. 
We need to realize that it's God that gave us a voice. It wasn't man that gave us a voice. We don't need to speak over ourselves what man said to us or what man is saying to us. Whoever it is in our life, they don't, shouldn't have a voice in us. We need to speak over everything that God has said about us, what God is revealing to us, who God says we are. When we look into the mirror and we see the image of God, we should be able to say, that's God right there. I am in the image of God. It doesn't matter what anyone else has said in the past, in the present, what anyone's going to say because I am made in the image of God. We can't make plans in our life and ask God to bless them. We can't make a plan in our life and try and align God to our plan. What Jesus did was he saw what God's plan was for his life and he aligned himself to God's plan. And that became the will in Jesus' life. It's not about us organising our own will for our lives, but recognising God's will for our lives. And when we align ourselves to him, that's when we can do so much more than we could ever imagine. And the way we can learn God's will for our lives is from the scripture, John 15, 5. It says, when you abide in Jesus, you will bear much fruit. So if we abide in him, the word abide means to be consumed by him. If we are consumed by him, we will bear much fruit. And when we are consumed by him, then we know the will of the Lord on our lives. We could choose to have an encounter of God and miss it or we could choose to have an encounter and be healed. We could choose to have the encounter of God and see what he says about our lives. About eight years ago, I, I got a phone call in the middle of the night and I answered the phone and it was my mum and you know, when you, it's the middle of the night, I think it was early morning, and you get a phone call from your mother, and you're in your mid-twenties. You know it's not about curfew, but it's, 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 it's not good. I got a phone call from mother, and she, she told me that <clears throat> my brother had been shot. And he was in hospital, he'd been rushed, flown to hospital. And he was in the operating theater and it wasn't looking good. She told me that there's no real point coming because there's nothing you can do. But it's not looking good. See, my brother was 14 and he was doing as a 14-year-old boy does. He went over to his mate's place, who was similar age. There was two of them, two mates. They were brothers. And it was just across the road. We lived on a farm. And it was just across the road. So probably when you live on a farm and it's just across the road, it's, it's a few kilometers away. <clears throat> but he just, he went around and prayed. He went around and played with these boys. But... Little did my mum know that the boy's parents weren't home. They had ducked out for the evening. And the boys were just playing around the house and 
and they went through the garage and the dad had left his triple two rifle out on the bench, fully loaded. And one of the boys picked up the gun and he pointed it at my brother who was 14 years old and pulled the trigger. Now, just moments before he pulled the trigger, my brother picked up a barbecue plate, a cast iron barbecue plate. For some reason, he, to this day, he just doesn't know why. But he picked it up and he was holding it there and the boy turned around and shot him. The bullet went straight through the barbecue plate, straight through his side. But the barbecue plate, it exploded in his arms and shattered and ripped open his chest. Ripped open his arms, severed all the nerves in his arms. And I was speaking to my brother earlier on this week about the story. I had to text him because I, I couldn't talk to him over the phone about the story because you, know, you don't want your older brother crying on the phone. Well, he's my younger brother, but I'm the older brother and I would have been the one crying. And as he laid there in a pool of blood, I asked him, what do you remember of that time? And he said, I remember everything. I remember laying there in a pool of blood. I, I remember... I remember laying there and believing that I'm going to die. And as everyone, ambulance officers, were surrounding him and he was bleeding out, he said, I just remember having this feeling that this was my last breath. But I said to God, if you save me, if you save me today, I'll dedicate the rest of my life for you. And he said, as he, as he said those words, He felt God's presence come and there was a complete calmness come upon him. And he, he said he looked in the distance and he could tell that it was getting dark and he could see the silhouettes of trees and he could see the wind blowing the trees. And he said as he felt God's presence, the trees began to slow down and... He could just focus on the trees and he knew that he was going to be okay. The ambulance took him in the helicopter and they flew to Adelaide where they were refused by hospitals because his condition was so severe. He he was in that sort of condition that even there was no one in Adelaide that could, could help him until one hospital took him in and he went straight into surgery and, and they got to open his body up and got to see the extent of the accident and there was holes through most of his organs as the barbecue plate exploded into his body, 
the shrapnel went straight through his his body and through his organs and as they were operating on him he died he he died on the operating bed because a piece of the shrapnel was lodged in his heart they resuscitated him and he came back alive and they fixed him as much as what they could do and he was in in intensive care for three or four weeks he was in hospital for six weeks but once he was released from hospital the doctors said he would never be you know he would never be what he was before there is no way that he is going to be able to use his hand his arm because he lost all nerves so they put his hand his arm in a sling and his hand in a splint because he couldn't hold it open and he he was just a 14-year-old boy who loved to play drums he loved to play guitar and that's all he ever wanted to do and he could never do it again they said that it's likely he'll spend the rest of his life in a sling with a splint on his hand it's likely that the rest of his life he's always going to be have that deformity in his arm he said we've tried we've done operations but that's all we can do he got super depressed the only thing that he could do was play video games he couldn't play sport anymore so he would just spend the rest of his days not wanting to go to school not wanting to hang out with his friends not wanting to go outside not being able to play sport not being able to play guitar not being able to play drums and you'd most often you'd find him in his room in complete darkness and he would just sit there and we went to a, a camp for church we had a guest speaker and the speaker had a word of knowledge for someone with nerve damage to their arm and i remember my brother not wanting to stand up because he was embarrassed as a 14-year-old boy was and some other lady stood up and said that's me i'm the one with nerve damage got something wrong with my shoulder and he prayed for her and i can't remember if she got healed or not but he then said no you're not the one i'm thinking of you're not the one that god's saying there's someone else here with nerve damage in their arm and my brother went up and 
And he said, as he went up, he was scared, not, not believing anything was going to happen. And he, I think there was a group of us that all prayed for him. And he said, all I can remember is shaking, un, uncontrollably shaking, like I was being electrocuted. I couldn't stop myself from shaking. And then when everyone stopped praying for him, he stopped shaking and he thought, oh, nice try guys. I was right. I didn't think I was gonna get healed until someone came up and grabbed him and hugged him. And he said, from that moment, I knew exactly I was healed because I was no longer in pain. I didn't experience pain anymore. For the first time in however long it was, I wasn't in excruciating pain. He said, I didn't have faith for healing that day. But the funny thing is, neither did the lame man by the pool. But Jesus still met him. See, the same Jesus that healed the lame man by the pool was the same Jesus that healed my brother that day. And the same Jesus that healed my brother that day is the same Jesus that wants to heal you today. The same Jesus that wants you to go through your breakthrough. He wants to partner with you. It's the same Jesus. It doesn't have to be healing. It could be addiction. It could be something that you went through as a kid. It could be something that's happened in your marriage. It's the same Jesus. The same Jesus that the lame man encountered is the same Jesus that wants to encounter you today. John 20, 30, 31, as I started with, says Jesus went on to do many more signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not even included in this book. But all that is recorded here is so that you will fully believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the Son of God, and that through your faith in him, you will experience eternal life by the power of his name. So are you willing to believe in him today? Are you willing to meet with him today? Are you willing to be met by him today? This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.